Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. But hey, I want to welcome our Boardman campus, our family at TCI, and of course, our online community and here in Warren. My name is Ryan. I get to serve on our pastoral staff here, and we are really excited to be in this series called 41. Pastor Joe is going to be back next weekend here in Warren, and in Boardman is going to be Pastor Joe Jr. They're going to be sharing one of our future messages. We're just excited to continue on in this series. We're breaking on right now some of the core values, and we're looking at how these core values shape us. You know, and when I first became a leader, I really started to dive into just, I just read. I mean, I just started reading books like crazy. And one of the things I discovered that most great companies had was core values. And this really shaped me in such a meaningful way. You know, about seven years ago, my wife and I got engaged. And about four months after we got engaged, we were going to get married. And so um, really exciting time, a lot to figure out, a lot of things to do, especially if you only got four months. But we were just excited to get married. And um, as we're in this process, I had this thought, this realization. I was like, okay. And so we're driving down the road one day and I said to Kristen, Kristen, I think I think I know the one thing we need for our wedding. She said, oh, what's that? And I said, core values. <laughs> and of course she was like, uh, okay. She knew what she was getting when she married me. Okay, that's just, you know. And so we start talking about it and she, out of the kindness of her heart, or maybe just out of pure condescension, I'm not exactly sure, she said, yes, we can have some core values. And so we came up with these two core values for our wedding. The first was that we wanted a ceremony that honored God. We just want a ceremony that was honoring to God. And the second was we wanted the most fun reception we could possibly have. I mean, those were the two core values. And we said, that's it. That's what we want for our wedding. And as I look back, I think that helped us make so many decisions. Our parents were so kind. They gave us a budget for the wedding. And you know what? Because we had values, we spent our money differently. See, what you value actually determines your decisions. And so as we're getting ready for the wedding, we start thinking about the ceremony and she starts thinking about a wedding dress. And she's like, you know, I don't, I don't need the most expensive dress. And I was like, yeah, I don't need the most expensive suit. And so we thought, yeah, we don't need that. Let's just get like a good communion table and let's get like a good pastor to do it, which happened to be my dad. We're like, yeah, let's, let's just have a really nice kind of a beautiful moment. We don't need it to be in a church even. We just want it to be holy and separate. And it's awesome. Like we want the people we love to be there. Let's do it. But then we like get to the reception and we're like, okay, well, you know, like you could spend, you know, $800,000 on flowers or you could, you know, get silverware that's like really nice. But we're like, you know what? We want the most fun reception. So let's spend all our money on a DJ, <laughs> you know? So we, we bought, I mean, we got the best guy. DJ Brandon was insane. If you're looking for a good wedding, he's booked through 2024. So you gotta go to 2025. But I mean, it was like, it was awesome. And we had really the most fun wedding reception ever. We look back now, we're like, yeah, we wouldn't change the thing, including me having core values. And here's why I think it's so crucial we talk about core values, because the truth is all of us have values. All of us have them. Now, whether you've written yours down or gone through the exercise of planning your wedding according to core values or not, very highly unlikely actually that you've done that. But the truth is all of us have things that we value. And we can say we value things, certain things, but truly our actions, you know, if you look at where we spend our money or where we spend our time, that's really what tells you what you value. And if you really want to know what you value, that's it. Like, look at your actions, look at how you spend your time, your money. And so very often, you know, organizations, they will work really hard on crafting these beautiful core values that go up on the wall, and then they never spend any time curious if it's going to be lived out down the hall. And this is kind of our goal as a church is we've said, look, 
we want to know, we want to be articulate. We want to clarify language around the things that matter most. Not only do we want to know where we're going, we want to know the type of people we're going to be along the way. And so that is our core values. That's why we're diving into it. So I'm so excited today to share with you our next core value, which is simply this, we choose joy. This is so pivotal. If you want to understand BC culture, Believer's Church culture, if you want to know what we're all about, you cannot get that recipe, that infor- you know, the ingredients list without this one of we choose joy. I was thinking back a while ago, there was this movie came out that came out and I went to go see it in theaters. It was called The Dark Night Rises. And it was, I mean, to this day, it's like in the top, three for me of like movies ever, but I'll never forget. I'm, I'm in this movie and I am just taken aback by like the score, the cinematography, the acting, the production, the epicness of it. Like I'm thinking about the culmination of a three-part trilogy and like I was moved by this. You know, I'm walking out of that theater just thinking, what did I just experience? Like my mind was struggling to catch up with my emotions and And Kristen's like, you know, you never cried on our wedding day. You didn't cry when your kids were born. And in fairness, I didn't cry during this movie either. But I was definitely moved. And I started thinking about it. And I think all great art does something. All great art moves you to think about something greater and grander than the art itself. It almost like pushes your attention to the deeper and grander things of life. The same thing is true, but in a different way of like when I'm cuddling with my kids. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one on the way. And I think about these moments, like right now they'll sit on my lap and I can, I can my, my two-year-old, he'll fall asleep like this, you know, we're just cheek to cheek. And I think, you know, someday that's not going to happen again. You know, when they're 24 and 22, I don't think that's going to be ideal for anybody. But I think about those moments and as I'm there with them, there's something inside of me that just, it like is enjoying this moment, but it's also longing for it to last longer and be almost more full. It's like, it's almost like I want to connect with them in a way that's not even humanly possible to connect with them. I don't, parents, maybe you can help me out. You understand what I'm feeling, but it's like maybe grandparents would too, but it's just like you, you long for this like oneness with them. It's like, I just wish this could last forever and be even as great as it is right now. And throughout life, we are presented with these moments, these things that in some ways point us to a great beyond because we recognize that this thing itself is limited and it is temporary. No matter how good it is, it is limited and temporary. And I think about that, you know, no matter what thing, this is what C.S. Lewis talked about, the famous author and theologian, he talked about this idea. For him, joy was actually defined as this. It was like this unsatisfied longing that is far more satisfactory than anything else far more satisfactory than pleasure or happiness. It is this unsatisfied longing that is awakened through the temporary things of this world and it points us to something else. And he said, when we experience these temporary things, we have a few options. We have a few things we can do. We can respond to them in a few ways because eventually, because they are temporary, they will not elicit elicit that ultimate satisfaction as we hope they will. 
No matter how good your relationship with your wife or your kids or your, no matter how much you achieve, it will never be enough to fully satisfy who you are as a person. And so he said, there's three ways that people respond to this. When, they, when they're faced with the fact that there's awakened in them a desire for something even greater than what they're experiencing. He said, the first way is what he calls the fool's way. And this is to think that there's something wrong with the thing itself. So you think, oh, okay, my wife no longer, you know, we, we don't love each other like we used to. So I need a better wife. I, I need, a, I need a, a travel, like this trip is great, but it's not fixing all the stuff. Like I need a better trip. Uh, or, or like I, I made this much and it didn't quite give me what I hoped it would. I, I achieved this much. I need to just achieve a little bit more. He calls this the fool's way because what you discover is that no matter how far you go down that road, it never leads to the thing you think it will. It never leads to that true joy. The second way is what he calls the sensible person approach, which is just to think that it's all hogwash and just think, you know what? This universe is gonna burn up someday and none of it really matters. So the best thing we can do is put on our sensible face and say, hey, you know what? There's no end of the rainbow here, people. There is no such thing as the satisfied desire. That longing inside of you is just a human brain, emotional wiring thing, but it's never going to be fulfilled. And of course, the challenge with this is what if you're wrong? What if there actually is something that this desire inside of you is awakening itself to? The third way is what he called the Christian way, the Christian approach. He said, the Christian approach is when you see something in this world that awakens a desire for something greater, You enjoy the version of it in this world, but you also use it to turn your attention to the greater. Look at what he says. I love this quote. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The fact that there is a longing inside of you for that ultimate satisfaction is actually a great indication that you can be ultimately satisfied. Why? Because a baby cries when it's thirsty. And you know what? There is a way to satisfy its thirst. That the desire meets the object of its desire. A duck longs to swim. And you know what? Water exists. Therefore, that duck will swim. And if we sense that there is something that is beyond what we are experiencing now, Could it just be that God himself exists and is beyond us? So today, as we talk about this concept of joy, I hope to take that which is maybe eternal in scope and bring it into your everyday. I wanna start with something that was formed in the 1600s. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And a catechism is just designed to help new believers or new Christians walk through the faith. And in this Westminster Catechism, a bunch of people got together, theologians, some of the smartest minds in the world, and they said, okay, how are we gonna help shape and build disciples of Jesus? And so they started asking all these really important questions and then listing the answers one by one. And it's just build line upon line, precept upon precept. And the very first question that they posed in the Westminster Catechism, in other words, the most important thing they thought that every person who became a Christian should know was this question. What is the chief end of man. In other words, why do you exist? What's your purpose? For what reason are you taking up oxygen? Why are you here? 
This is one of the major existential questions. And honestly, I think this is one that our culture has not done a great job of answering. But I love the response of the, the call and response in the Westminster Catechism, which I believe is really rooted in scripture. And here's what it is. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you want to know what you were put on this planet for, you cannot go any deeper. You cannot peel the layers back any more than this right here. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to read to you out of Isaiah. This is all throughout scripture. God's glory is a central component of scripture. But I want to read to you some scriptures that help this. And what is it to glorify? Glorify just literally means to reveal the glory of, right? So it is to bring a, a, a revelation of who God is to the world, to make him known in his attributes and his character, to worship him accordingly. Look at what Isaiah chapter 43 says. It says in verse one, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the, ever, from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The Christian understanding of the way the world works is that you were not just coming into being just accidentally. That you were formed by God with a specific purpose. And that purpose was that you were made to bring glory to God. Look at what Romans chapter 11 says. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. In other words, God is the source of our universe. He is the one that created it. He is the one that upholds it. And he is the point of it all. And if you look at the universe without this grid, you will not make sense of it. It won't make sense. You will always come up short. It is only when you understand your life and the universe in the lens of bringing God glory that it all makes sense. And it's not because God needed us to bring him glory. It's because he desired us to bring him glory. He created you because he wanted you. You are made to be a beautiful expression and reflection of God himself. Look at what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means the parts of your life that you think have nothing to do with God are parts of your life that you can use to glorify God. This is what you were born for. And whether it's your eating or your drinking or your work or your play or your athletics or your school or your job or your coworkers, it's all designed for you to be able to glorify God. And yet within this concept, I find it so powerful to think about this statement. So what did it say? Okay, so we go back to, what does it say? That our chief purpose in this life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And yet what I have found is that maybe the best way to say this is that the best way we glorify God is when we enjoy him forever. You will always glorify the most what you enjoy 
the best. I want to use this illustration. I, it's a little tacky, but that's kind of how I roll. Uh, <laughs> I have here a beautiful donut. I could, in my life, decide that I will be disciplined enough to every day eat a donut. I will be disciplined enough to every day spend time thinking about the donut and just meditating upon donuts. I could make sure that I carve out 10 to 15 minutes to sing songs about donuts. I could make sure that every day I look up the history and the context of donuts. And maybe if I'm even, well, you don't, know, don't look up the nutritional facts, okay? But every day I could, I could discipline myself to orient myself around this donut. But I have found that if I want to bring the greatest glory to this donut, there is one way to do that. This is inspired by God. This was a maple donut and that's my favorite flavor. I didn't even ask. I just said, give me whatever random donut and she gave me a maple, come on. If I enjoy this donut, I will orient my life around it. The more I enjoy it, the more I will orient my life around it. If I truly enjoy this donut, I will go out of my way to make it a part of my day. I will go out of my way to make sure it's in my life. I will write songs about it and sing songs about it. I will make documentaries about it, telling the good effects that donuts have on humanity. I will, I will. I am really inspired by this donut. I, maybe just sugar, maybe just sugar high. Okay, that's, yeah. But the more I enjoy this donut, the more I will glorify this donut. Now, this is a very absurd way to tell you something that is very not absurd at all which is that the thing you glorify the most will be the thing you enjoy the most. And this is why every Saturday, so many of you reorient your schedule around Ohio State because you know that, and you wear your shirts. And I think that's awesome. Why? Because you find great joy. You find great joy in the Buckeyes. And in our lives, this is what we do. We find joy in things and those are the things we glorify best. So I really love what John Piper says. He says that we are most, uh, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if you wanna know how to glorify God best in your life, just start enjoying God. Make him, and I, I say this, I, I use this as a joking illustration, but the truth is for me, my times with God are like dessert to me. I look forward to him. Like I wouldn't trade him for anything. And I enjoy God so much and it's such a natural part of who I am that I can't help but want to glorify him. But here's what I find so cool. Not only is God most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, not only is he most glorified when we most enjoy him, but get this, when we, when we glorify him best, we enjoy him most. Watch this, Jesus in John chapter 15 says this, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things, so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus is inviting you right where you are. He's inviting you to experience the same joy that he has. It's the type of joy that is overflowing. I don't know exactly what it means to experience Jesus' joy, but it's gotta be pretty good because he's God and he's very joyful. 
Just say. And so Jesus is inviting you to experience his joy. But do you want to know how he sets you up to experience that joy? Look at the verse right before that. It says, I have told you these things so you will experience my joy. So what is the things he told us so we would experience his joy? Obey my commandments because you'll remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So how did Jesus experience joy? Well, he tells us, he says, my bread or my, my satisfaction comes from doing the work of the father. So if you want to live a satisfied life, start obeying Jesus' commands. Start living according to his will and the father's will. I love this because not only does enjoying God lead him to the most glory, but glorifying him leads you to the most joy. This is the beauty of life with God that we can actually live our lives around what he has told us to do. And it actually gives us the most satisfying life. And I think back to my life. I, when I was in middle school, man, shout out to all my middle schoolers, man. You guys, you're the real heroes, okay? I had an amazing upbringing. I had parents who love God, they're pastors, but they were just, I mean, they were better off the stage than we were on the stage. I mean, it was like, they were so full of life and integrity and I, we had a great childhood, man. I, they taught us things about God, but they just loved us. They just loved me and my brothers and we had a, an amazing family unit. And I loved God genuinely as a kid and then came middle school. And I gotta tell you, if I were gonna like put a name to middle school, it was like the worst version of me possible was in middle school. Which by the way, parents, I just wanna give you some encouragement. Do not come to any final conclusions about your child's life while they are in middle school, okay? That trajectory that seems like it's going in one direction doesn't necessarily always look that way, okay? Would you want someone to do that about your middle school years? I didn't think so. But man, I, I just honestly, I, I cared so much about what people thought of me. And unfortunately I chose the wrong people to care about what they thought of me. And so I started making decisions that were just very contrary to the way I was raised. And, it was, it was interesting because on the surface, you would have looked at me and said, oh, he's a good kid. Good kid, not doing anything crazy. But honestly, beneath the surface, if I would have continued on in, in the way I was going, it was, it was pretty, I don't know, it was becoming a person I didn't want to be, right? Just lazy like crazy, trapped by lust, toxic in relationships. I mean, just, I was the type of person that gossiped and then bullied and all kinds of stuff, like really, really ugly things, okay? And when I think back on that season of my life, I think back on my relationship with God through a conversation I had with my best friend at the time. And this conversation best epitomizes my perspective on life at that time, which was simply this. So we're, we're having this conversation. I say, yeah, dude, when I think when I'm really old, like 21, <laughs> this is a verbatim quote, by the way. So I think when I'm really old, like 21, I'll serve God. But for now, I just want some fun. In other words, here's my perspective on God. He's inevitable, but not enjoyable. God is probably true, probably real, but he does not know what it means to have fun. In fact, he's not really thriving in that area. So I'm gonna take care of that part and then I'll come to him. That was my perspective. If I could use a biblical parallel, it'd be the parable of the talents. Anybody remember that? Parable where there's the one servant who doesn't use the talents God gave him. And the reason he doesn't is he says, well, I knew you were a harsh and severe master, you know. He had a total wrong perspective of God and therefore God calls him wicked and lazy. And that was pretty much me. And so it was just getting, it was getting gross in here, you know. And then thankfully God got a hold of my life. 
And I was at a summer camp. In fact, this is why I'm so huge on camps for your students, because I just think there's some things God can do when you get away from your phone and away from your destructive friends and all those things. Just get around God and his people. And so I'm at a summer camp and God spoke to my heart for the very first time while worship was going on. And it wasn't with audible ears. It was way louder than that. It was to my heart. And for the very first time, I felt like God was calling me to himself. And I don't know how to describe it other than nobody was saying anything on the stage. They were just singing, but I knew that God, you are calling me to give you my life for the rest of my life. And I just somehow knew that is what I'm alive for. And as that moment happened, there was this phrase that started to circulate throughout my soul. It started to grow up within me. And it was just a simple kind of a seed of a phrase. It was glorify God. And even now, when I think about the purest form of my life, when God has to take me back to my first love, when he has to take me back to my first love, the thing he'll do is oftentimes take me back to that phrase, just glorify God. Because that phrase started to change my life. I was a punk, I was lazy, but God started to, through that phrase, say, hey, do you think I'm interested in your schoolwork? And I said, no, this is the devil's playground. You're not interested in school. <laughs> but he started to turn my heart to say, yeah, yeah, what does it look like to glorify God in your schoolwork? And then he started to take me to my athletics and he said, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. What would it look like to glorify God in your athletics? And this lazy kid, this lazy little dude, I became so diligent because I realized that well, if I'm gonna play this sport and I'm gonna glorify God in this sport, I have to look different than everybody else. I, I, I have to do things with excellence. And so I, I started working way harder than I'd ever worked before. And I started to think about what would it mean to glorify God in my relationships and in my, in my purity? What would it look like for me to glorify God? And it started to just transform my life. And I can say that although the, process is still ongoing, even as I speak to you from this stage, that God hasn't finished that work, I can tell you it was very sudden and immediate and transformative in a moment, was that God got a hold of my heart to start glorifying him. And it was awesome. But here's the one thing I never saw coming. I didn't realize the joy that came from following God and trusting his will for my life and living according to his purpose. In fact, when I got to college, I had the chance to play college sports. And I, I remember I got some of my teammates who were partiers, man. They were partying and hooking up and doing all this stuff. And like, I got them to come to a Bible study. I don't even think I got them there. They somehow were at this Bible study. And I just remember sharing my testimony and just saying, guys, I just wish you could experience for one moment the joy and the passion that I have, because I'm telling you, you would never want to taste another, another weekend party like you're going to. You would never want another hookup because you know those things don't satisfy you. This is the real deal. And I remember many of them actually, not in that moment, but over time, God actually brought to that place. But guys, this is what I didn't realize. I didn't realize that a life that is spent glorifying God becomes so much more enjoyable because you have a chance to taste that which is eternal here and now. Amen. That purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever, that is not just something for this life. It is something that you can do forever. Yeah. Those two purposes will still be true of you 10,000 years from now. But you can start them now. You can taste them now. You can begin to cultivate them in your life now and experience joy in a way you've never experienced it before. Why? Because, well, we glorify God most when we enjoy him the most. 
but we also enjoy him the most when we glorify God most. And so that's what we wanna be as a church. We wanna help you do this. We wanna live this out. We wanna be known for this amongst each other and in the world. This is our value. We choose joy. And so practically speaking, we wanna help you do this. We have a few key behavioral traits that we think if we're gonna get this right, these have to be a part of the equation. Here's the first. The first one is emotions may be in the car, but they don't have to be in the driver's seat, all right? We tell this to your students a lot, just so you know, okay? Emotions, they're good to be in the car. They don't have to be the driver. And that's important. They are helpful internal signals that can be superseded by joy. Joy is something that can be attached to every single emotion you are feeling because it's not just happiness. Joy is actually knowing that God is pleased to be with you. It is knowing that people are pleased to be with you. So you can experience joy even in the midst of grief or sorrow. You can experience joy in the midst of frustration and anger because you know God is with you. The next one is this, that my joy isn't based on circumstances. My joy is based on who God is and what he's done for me in Christ. Therefore, I will have an attitude of gratitude. We wanna be the most thankful church you could possibly be. Like we wanna, we wanna reek of gratitude. <laughs> like if we smell of anything, let it be gratitude. We wanna be the type of people that don't just see issues and problems. Trust me, we know we're gonna work to be excellent. You'll hear about that in some of the coming weeks. We're gonna work to do as best as we possibly can. But on the journey, we're gonna be grateful for what God has already done and what he's, who he already is. The next one is this, I rejoice because I know God is working all things together for my good. I know God's working even when I can't see it happening. We can rejoice because we know the end of the story. It's totally different when you watch a movie and you've seen the ending and you know it's a good ending. You see the whole rest of the movie. Every, every time you watch it, you see it differently because you know the twist. Here's the twist. God wins. God's good. That's the twist. Everything else makes more sense when you get that ending. And here's what I love. There's this phrase. Have you ever heard this phrase? Fake it till you make it. Yeah, great phrase. Not true. Not true. Fake it till you make it implies that you have to deceive yourself out of reality, right? Oh, I'm going to fake it because this is true, but I'm going to be over here. I'm going to deceive myself. No, Christians, we're not called to fake it till we make it. We're called to faith it till we make it. You want to know the difference? Faithing it till you make it, it doesn't ignore reality. It says, okay, this is real, but God, what's true? Even though this is going on, God, I still trust that your promises will come through in a way that I know you're going to work things out. We refuse to fake it. And I have to tell you, in seasons of my life, there were times I chose to smile as an act of faith. You might've looked at me and said, Ryan, you're faking it, man. You don't feel happy on the inside. And I'd say, no, no, I'm not faking it. I'm faithing it. Because you know what? Right now I'm going through the most difficult season of my life. But the one thing God asked me to do is smile as an act of faith. So that's what I'm going to do. But you know what happened? Over time, God started to build that in. And now it's a reflex. When I'm going through a tough moment, I'm like, God, how are you going to come through here? This is rough. I smile, I smile. And I didn't know this, God did, but I didn't. They, they've actually found out that if you begin to smile, it actually changes your brain after you smile. But I didn't know that, I was just obeying God. But sometimes we have to go by faith and just choose joy, right? So here's the next one. The joy of the Lord produces strength. It renews passion for my purpose. This is what we've been talking about all day today, that you will never fully experience your purpose without joy and you will never truly experience joy without your purpose, 
of glorifying God. So keep it going, keep them together. Here's the final one. (laughs) This is a good one. Things grow best when fertilized. I will focus on the growth, not the stink. The Bible promises that this group of people right here watching online at TCI, that we are a part of what's called the bride of Christ. We are God's family. We are God's holy people, a holy nation. That he is actively, as we speak, Ephesians talks about how he is washing us like with water through the word. That he is actively reforming us into the image of Christ and reshaping us and molding us. But can we all agree we're not there yet? Can we all agree we still have imperfections? Can we all agree that not only do we have imperfections, but our neighbor has way more? (laughs) We are in this process with people and therefore there will be moments where things are just messy. But as a church, we're just saying, when the mess comes, when the stink comes, we are going to reframe it and say, this is not a stink that means we are a a garbage collection. This is a stink that is fertilizer. This is a stink that is actually gonna produce something good in us. If we can stick through this process together, we know that we're gonna grow. And that's what we're committed to as a church. So this is what it means for us to choose joy. We're gonna be people that embody these reactions. And I just wanna fill you in as we end today. I wanna fill you in on how we came to these core values. Little insider secret. Here's what happened. We made a list of people in our church that we love how they act. We said, hey, who do we just think does, like, they just inspire us. Like they really embody what it means to be a believer's church leader, thinker, behavior. Like who are those? And so we just started writing your names down. Just, we started writing your names down. And then we said, okay, what do they do that we love? Like what's a part of, what, what makes them who they are? And so we just started listing out all these attributes. And so we came to things like we fight for our first love because there's so many of you, when we wrote down your names, it was like, yeah, that person has this ability to just keep sticking it out in their relationship with God. They're not gonna just rest on their laurels. They're gonna go after God with a new passion. And so one of the things we found over and over and over and over and over was there's this quality in every person that we wrote down where it's just something about them that they had this ability to choose joy. They had this ability. And I I think personally about my friend, Kathy Neff, who leads our special needs ministry here in the Warren campus. And I get to work with her on a a weekly basis. And I think about how just over a year ago, she lost her husband. She's been grieving through that. And yet as she healthily grieves, I also have watched how she's turned up the dial on her relationship with God. She's taken time she didn't have before to now spend it with God. She's leaned into her relationship with her church family. And even in her purpose and her calling where she leads her ministry, she's got fresh vision and a new hunger and excitement to see God work. Why? Because she's learning to enjoy God in the midst of grief. And so she's staying locked into her purpose. She didn't disconnect from her purpose even when difficulty came. I think about our friends, Steve and Michelle Zajac, you know, they, they serve in our, our host team here. And man, on the 40th birthday party, we didn't want any volunteers to have to do anything. But of course, like so many of you guys, you guys just have a passion for this place. And so you were here, like you didn't leave all day. You're helping set up food. You're doing all this stuff just because you want to. And of course they were a part of that. And they saved some seats so that when the service came, they'd have a place to sit. But of course this place was packed. And when they got in here, their seats were gone. And so they find these seats, they finally find some seats and they look up and they realize, "Uh uh-oh, they were right behind there, right behind our cameras. And they're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, 
And they had no clue that we were watching them, but we were watching them. And in that moment, we watched as they couldn't even see the stage of which this church they've been a part of for like almost 40 years. They couldn't even see the stage on the night of the 40th birthday party. And you know what they did? They turned to each other and went like this. <laughs> they chose joy. They chose joy in this little tiny moment. But for us, we're like, yep, that's the kind of church we are. We choose joy. I think about the Bigelows over in Boardman. I think about this family who I've gotten to watch from afar just from hearing people talk about them. They've gone through incredible challenges. They've gone through health things and their family and all kinds of stuff. And you know what they're doing? They're leaning into their connect groups. They're leaning into learning about the Holy Spirit and relating to Him. And they're, they're just choosing joy as a family in the midst of their challenge. This is the type of church we're gonna be. This is the type of family we wanna have, that we challenge each other week in and week out to choose joy. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the people in this room that you have stored up for them joy. Not in a superficial or surface level way, but in a deep, eternal sense, you have joy for every person in the sound of my voice. And I'm just praying that today would be a step, that you would give each person here a step they can take to move toward joy. Father, I get the sense that there are some people in here who have just strong ambition inside of them. They have an ambition to grow, to move, to achieve. And I just thank you that God, you are not removing that, but you are replacing it. You are replacing that ambition that is built on self and growing as big as you can possibly get and achieving as much. You're changing that into this ambition to glorify you the most. And they're gonna work just as hard, if not harder, but God, you're replacing their motivations. You're giving them a, a, a link to their purpose as they go do what you've called them to do. I pray if there are people in here who have been struggling to find joy, praying that you would surround them with people that are pleased to be with them, that are excited to be with them, that can help them on this journey. I wanna give an invitation to anyone who has never had the chance to experience the joy of coming into the family of God. I'm convinced of this, that Jesus asks a lot of us. Jesus asks for our whole life. If we are to follow him, it means surrendering everything we have to him. And that's not always easy. But I'm also convinced the reason Jesus asks us to give us to give him our life is because he wants to show us what it means to truly live. And if today, if God has been working in your heart to come into a relationship with him, then I wanna lead you in a prayer. We're gonna do a prayer of confession and repentance where we acknowledge our wrongdoing before God, where we repent and say, God, I wanna do things your way now but also a prayer of allegiance where we say, God, I am giving you my allegiance. I'm giving you the right to rule and reign in my life. And I believe that if God is leading you to that, it's because he wants the fullness of life for you. And so no matter where you are, if you're here in Warren, if you're in Boardman, TCI or online community, I'm gonna lead you through this prayer. But if that's you, just know the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved.
So church, would you help me pray so that no one prays alone? Say this with me, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Right now, I repent for my old ways and I turn to you. Jesus, I believe that you're God. You died for my sins and you rose to life again so I could have eternal life with you. You are king of creation. I make you the Lord of my life. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.